netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. The FX podcast is where we talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists doing cutting-edge work. We dig deep into the technical side, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking people creating amazing work. Be sure to check out all of our podcasts at fxguide.com slash podcasts. So today we are going to talk the technical side and also um, a little bit about the DigiPro conference, which takes place uh, before SIGGRAV on August 8th. And Mike Seymour has recorded an interview with Sven Paul from DreamWorks. Sven will be talking at DigiPro about DreamWorks Animation's facial motion and deformation system, which they developed as part of their new Primo animation system. And we're going to get a preview of this talk. Before I get started, I wanted to mention the July 2015 term over at FXPHD, as well as an article or two that you might have missed over at FX Guide. So let's jump into... FX PhD, and I wanted to talk about some of the new courses that we've been offering this term. So there's a 3D equalizer, Tricks of the Trade. Um, there's a digital matte painting, D- Desert Apocalypse course. There is a graphic design in flame course, which ought to be very popular. There is a lighting and rendering explosions in Houdini and Nuke course. An introduction to Massive. Maya course on Look Dev and Lighting. Um, one that uh, I've been keeping an eye on, the previs for commercials. This is um, actually one of the articles I wanted to mention to you over at FX Guide. Um, Professor Matthew Workman is a DP who also does a lot of very realistic modeling for camera rigs and does a lot of previs using those to figure out camera shots and stuff. So there's an article on FX Guide featuring a group called the Moon Unit, which is a group that helps agencies and visual effects companies bid jobs. Um, They bid like 700 jobs a year. Just do a search over an FX guide for the moon unit. It's a very interesting article and they actually, Mike Seymour actually put them through their paces with a a, uh, mythical job that he created Um, and they bid and came back with a very large bid document kind of showing the state of the art of bid documents these days too. And as part of this, um, Matthew Workman, the uh, helped us with that bid um, prep preparation is actually going to previs the commercial that was conceived as part of that. Um, there's a new commercials finishing for boutiques, tornado destruction project in Maya, and a VR course, which John Montgomery is teaching. And that's a very interesting course I'm anxious to get into. Uh, and I'm also doing a course on commercial finishing. So check out all the courses over at FXPHD. And like I mentioned, check out that article about the moon unit. If you just search on FX Guide for the moon unit or TMU even, we'll get you there. And also I wanted to point out that um, there's an article on Ant-Man, <clears throat> the uh, Marvel film that's done so well at the box office. And there's a great chunk in that. This is a very long article and they cover a lot of detail. And there's a great chunk in there on Lola's work. And you know, we always like to feature Lola's work, especially because so much of what they do, they can't talk about. So it's great to be able to have a piece like this where they de-aged Michael Douglas for the film's opening scene. Um, So you really want to check that out. It's a nice article. And there's been a couple articles around the internet about that, but I think ours is very strong and and points out a lot of more technical details. So now let's jump into Mike Seymour speaking with Sven Pohl from DreamWorks about a talk that he will be doing at the DigiPro conference that precedes SIGGRAPH. So uh, 
congratulations. Uh, this presentation at uh, DigiPro looks like it's going to be really interesting. It certainly caught my attention. Oh, thanks. So um, explain to me the, uh, the, uh, the presentation that you'll be doing. We don't want to go through the whole presentation, but, uh, but what no. is it you'll be discussing? Well, I hope to be able to give as much away as I can, kind of like how it works and the paths we have chosen. Um, you know, I think m mainly DreamWorks is really interested in getting more traction on Primo, like the new animation software. Yep. And this is very much coupled to it, right? Um, it was basically an outcome out of a new animation software. They needed new wigs, body, face, and whatnot. And so we were literally forced to uh, come up with something new. And so, you know, uh, so the studio is very much interested in that. And from our side, you know, like, um, I, I think I will try to give as much insight as I can, you know, just like any other studio, you, you know, you try to give a glimpse into it, you know, you want everybody to understand what's going on, but, you know, to a certain level, because everything we do at um, DreamWorks is proprietary stuff, right, like, it's all our own software and stuff, so uh, there's a lot of, like, in-house development uh, in that, and, um, but I think we can show quite a good view into it and the choices we have made and the kind of uh, interfaces we created for animation and things like that. Um, now, it's know. very much focused on the face, isn't it? Though, of course, the animation yes. system overall does uh, character work. And one of the things yeah. that I think is really interesting about the character work you do is the faces can be so different. I mean, the faces of a character yeah. can be almost any animal or creature um, known to beast or man. Uh, so it's a pretty flexible system. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, from a studio point of view, that was the main thing they wanted to get out of this whole development, right? They said, okay, you know, w we want to be able to, with one system, create any kind of character, right? And in a shorter amount of time, right? Everything has to get faster and faster uh, these days, uh, waiting-wise. So that was probably one of the main driving forces, uh, at least from a studio point of view, that we built kind of like a, a system which can be assembled into any kind of character very quickly. Um, you know. What would be the main difference between a system that's designed for this kind of broad character animation versus something that was designed for doing uh, a realistic human face? I guess most realistic human faces start very much on the idea of scanning and capturing to build the initial shapes, don't they? But of course you wouldn't. Right, yeah. Uh, like our system is more designed out of elementary building blocks. So you can quickly assemble out of the known building blocks uh, something together and they're very, 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 I'm sorry, they're very flexible in itself. So you can basically, you get your model for modeling and you lay it out your face system uh, and then you start to what we call program it basically. Uh, shape it out of that system. But the idea was really to have elementary building blocks and out of these, uh, we want to be able to create every, every character type, every species uh, which comes along. And so far, so good. <laughs> so is it fundamentally built on a bone system or what's the sort of underlying assumptions or are there, how does it work? Um, it's not... It is similar to a bone system, like a direct manipulation, right, in a way. Uh, but it 
does it in a little bit different way. Um, and this, I think, I can, I can tell, like, we have this concept of feature lines. So we lay out uh, our, I want to say, main deformation lines on the character. And in these feature lines, once um, a system, which isn't necessarily bones, it's kind of like a curve-based uh, system, uh, which we shape. Um, so it's, a, it's uh, not... We don't lay out bones necessarily on the face. It's more like a curve-based approach uh, in that. But you know, it, it is definitely similar in terms uh, in terms of like, oh, you're driving the mesh with an effector, right? But the the effector itself is different, and the motion system approach itself is also very different than like a bone face. And is the system designed? primarily uh, or even exclusively so that there is a traditional character animator that's driving it or is there a lot of capacity for taking input from either uh, some kind of real-time markerless motion capture system or a, or a you know, full-on motion capture system? It doesn't have any input to motion capture uh, per se. Like This is something we currently, at least on our animated movies, don't do. So it wasn't a requirement for us to take in mocap data. However, the system is designed that it can take also um, any kind of shape data as input and, and drive these shapes uh, directly and uh, if we want to. So, but it's not directly motion capture um, prepared uh, for that. We just don't have that requirement in our movies yet. Right, and as and as you said, it's not a bone structure, but it's not a full blend shape either, right? It's not a full. No, yeah, it's it's a. We, we can easily, uh, we can throw whenever we want and at any stage uh, a shape in, but it's not our main driving uh, system of the face. Right. And so uh, the, the structure is different than, I guess, the sort of structures that are existing outside. How do animators take to it when they're learning the system? I mean, it, it is a bit unique, but that's not a bad thing. Um, how do yeah. animators take to it? I, I think very well because they uh, designed it with us. <laughs> so, uh, basically, was, uh, that was always uh, a thing, wasn't it? It was always to have it designed with yeah. an artist in mind. Yeah, it, it was really very much driven by animation's desire to directly interact with the character, both body and face, really. But for the face, they really imagined something where they can sculpt the face. Um, and so that's what we try to achieve, uh, you know, within our world. And you know, it, it has uh, it, it requires also certain other things from the animation software, right? Like it, it's really great to be able to sculpt the character's face into any shape you want. But along with it, you have to also know that uh, in a production environment or uh, animation production. You can't shape every frame yourself all the time. It takes time. So, you know, they also uh, implemented a posing system. So, you know, they can basically create their own shapes initially for the character, for the movie, and then they can put it in a pose system, dial it in, and then uh, dial certain little parts out again and things like that. Um, so if you don't have a blend shape fundamental kind of building block as your base for the system, and of course, as we said, it's not designed around motion capture, 
Is there well, any, I mean, is this a facial system that doesn't require any referencing to say facts and, uh, and facial Yeah, it units? doesn't. It doesn't, yeah. Which would make uh, it one about the only systems around at the moment that, that doesn't in some way um, reference uh, Ekman's work on, on facts, isn't it? Because most systems do break down expressions that way. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We don't do it. And I think, um, again, I, I think there are two thoughts to it. First of all, uh, a, a DreamWorks animation is really heavily involved in the character art. So they want to be, um, to a large part, in control of every control of a character and how it looks like. And then um, from our side, because we have, to ha uh, we have to support so many species, not every species really um, kind of uh, breaks down into fact shapes very easily. Right? So if I take um, uh, toothless from dragons, uh, the <laughs> dragon, well, what kind of fa fact shapes do we imagine? We would have to invent fact, sh fact shapes all the time for these kind of creatures. Um, you know, so it, it definitely wasn't our desire to go into that direction. Um, so the reason I ask that is because at the heart of most fact systems, uh, and with the exception of ones that are doing sort of one-to-one, -one, um, maybe body double type uh, face replacements, is right. the idea of retargeting because obviously you, you're trying to work stuff out and retargeting is, is intertwined with that uh, fact shape approach in, for most systems. Um, right. How... how how does retargeting work here? If you've got a system that's modeled with a panda, is it easy to retarget that to a very different creature or is every rig kind of different and separate? No, it is actually uh, quite easy. We had another talk submitted to SIGGRAPH called, uh, it was called Correspondence and Transfer of Characters, which was very closely tied uh, to this. Uh, so we have like, actually like a, uh, a special tool and special libraries which can actually transfer a whole rig, either body or face, from one character to another, with certain limitations, right? Like, I can't go from a crocodile to an elephant, right? Like, there's a, a certain um, limitations, obviously, but, um, but we can go quite easily from, like, a humanoid to a humanoid, or we can go, in case of the uh, movie Home, from one alien type to another alien type, um, but it happens as an outside process uh, of the system. It's something like a, a workflow we built in into our software to be able to do this very quickly. We can go very quickly from one to another. But it's I mean, outside e of that system. Even your humanoids in Dragon are quite stylized. Yeah, they're very stylized, but we can still get um, with that correspondence system I want to say like 85, 90% there, and so we can kind of throw the character over the fence to animation and get their feedback just based on that initial um, retargeting, I guess we can call it, yeah. So we've discussed the fact that uh, artists uh, like it because they're involved in doing it. We've also discussed yeah. the flexibility of the system, but uh, the other major tenant that the project had from its outset, as I understand it, is the interactivity and terms of being able to give feedback because, of course, animators want to see how things move and they want to see yeah. how uh, subtle the expressions are. Can you talk to me about the level that an artist can expect to have running at their desktop when they're using this? Yeah, so they can um, 
to solve that kind of problem, we kind of, and you know, just like everybody else, we created multiple levels of control uh, for the artists from very coarse, what we call bone, which is like the jaw and, you know, like stretch, uh, stretch and squash and things like that. And then we go to this, I, I think it's our main layer, we call it the sliding layer, and this is where the main controls are on. And then from there on, they can go to the next level, which we call dots, where they can really fine-tune certain things, um, you know, like, and we can determine how fine that is. It could be really vertex by vertex. Um, and on top of that, we still have some other, like, you know, pure float controls, which dial certain relaxations in if they wanted to, or things like that. So we can really design the, uh, at each of the levels we have, how fine or coarse the control is, but it goes quite fine. Uh, and it is because we, you know, like even for our characters, even Panda might not look like he has a lot of features. He actually does, you know, like the texture lines, they have to uh, look a certain way uh, around his eye and things like that. And to be able to achieve that for animation, we have to provide quite a good level of control and fine levels. In the um, in the world of uh, realistic facial animation, one of the and not even humanoid for that matter, but you know, sort of certainly much more uh, uh, less less uh, broad comedic stuff. There's a there's a lot of um, interest in facial sim work, flesh sims in particular, because yeah. you know obviously you want to be able to add on this extra level. And you've got something like a panda that you just raised. Um, yeah. Secondary motion is of course something that your animators would be interested in, and uh, and it's used for great both timing effect and also comic effect in the films. But yeah. is any of that handled via sim as opposed to just the character animator working on that timing? Uh, part, part. I, it depends. Uh, normally animators are kind of asking us, hey, can we make this uh, simable, this certain area? And then we do. Right. Uh, by, by default, uh, we, um, we don't put it in by default. And it's, it's part uh, like one of the main requirements of our system is to run in real time. And, you know, every time you throw in a sim, that becomes a different issue. Uh, even though we can do it, but, you know, the more you throw in, the less and less you get to your real time. So we're judicious with it, but we can put it on every area we really want. Uh, and there have been certain cases. I think Panda was one of them. Um, but, you know, it... It's not every character receives uh, a simulation, at least not in the face. On the body, that's a whole different topic. I think they have that built in uh, by default into their system. But uh, on the face side, we throw it in when we were asked to do it and when it makes sense. Because his face we does have a lot of what would effectively be body fat. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. That, and it's cute as all heck, right? But it's, but it's quite right. a mess to move around. Yeah. But we definitely also learned... Uh, I think over time of simulation that animation tends to take it as a starting point uh, and look what it does. And if it's a, you know, if it's a character which is not a hero character, they go with it. But if it's a hero character, they do also love to animate over it uh, to really get what they want to get. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of... Um, animation pride, I guess I want to say, in yeah. that. And, you know, they're just 
much more able to get the motion out of that than any simulation parameters back and forth trial. Um, I guess one of the areas that interests me a lot is when you get that character animation work happening with actual sims, be them fluid sims or whatever, and you have this interplay because it's not exactly rigid body fluid interactions. It's kind of soft body fluid interactions, but one affects the other. But, you know, there's a sort of a chicken and egg thing there, isn't there? Yeah, that is. And I don't think that's... uh uh, I'm not sure where they are with Primo in terms of that. I know they can throw a lot of stuff into Primo already, um, but it's not part of a character, um, you know, uh, these kind of things. Uh, that has to be handled by the animation software. Now, you're presenting at uh, DigiPro, and on the paper is also Michael, Brett, Dick, Stephen, uh, yeah. Fred, Jason. How many of you are actually standing up the front? And, and what, I mean, where does everybody fit into that? Is that a collective team effort for the development? Uh, so Fred Nielsen and Jason Leisich were the two uh, animation uh, animators um, being our point person. Uh, so they were the driving force from the animation side on what they want uh, from the system and designed it together with us and tested it and things like that. Uh, and um, uh, Brent Watkins and Michael Hutchins are two super smart developers, so they're really on the super tech side and you know, did the interpolators and came up with certain concepts. Um, and Dick Walsh, um, Mariette, Steve, and I, we were kind of like, from the creative point of view, uh, from the artist point of view, developing the system uh, alongside uh, the two tech guys we had. And um, so that's kind of like for breaking out. But, you know, it's a large-scale development. And, you know, there are uh, even more people involved on smaller level. But these are kind of like the key people uh, coming into that. So I know that you, uh, you started your career in Germany and uh, came over to DreamWorks. Yeah. And I... I think I'm right in yeah. saying 12 years at DreamWorks, Redwood and uh, Glendale. Yeah, 12 years, yeah. But uh, you recently switched to Activision's central yeah. group. How does that work? Explain that relationship. Um, I, I think from my personal level, I just wanted to go to something else. And I was looking for, okay, I did enough animated movies in my life <laughs> I could possibly do. And so I wanted to go to VFX uh, or games, kind of like, and so it happened to come around this opportunity, and it's really a mix out of both. Um, so I get to work for the Central Studio, which is very motion capture heavy, but game studios are trying to get realistic characters into their games more and more, right? And um, so that really struck to me, and it's a very future. Uh, area, I want to say, uh, you know, like I even imagine not very uh, or very soon somebody's going to make a movie in a game engine. Um, you know, so. Yeah, it's just interesting for me because obviously uh, Mega Mind, uh, Kung Fu Panda, Shrek, Monsters and Aliens, yeah. these are just such uh, wonderful sort of, you know, cartoony kind of characters. Uh, not what yeah. I think of with games, but also, as you said yourself, a lot of the work you've been doing hasn't been related to motion capture and the, the uh, games yeah. industry in particular tends to like uh, motion capture. And I think you're actually working yeah. more with motion capture now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. It's uh, probably like 75% of my work. And 
it's very interesting to me on how they approach facial wigs and body wigs. You know, I was going to um, ask you about the, the difference between those two approaches. Uh, I guess I can, I can say um, Philosophically. they're very simplistic compared to <laughs> what we uh, put up there. And you know, they have reasons to be simplistic. They have a game engine to run. Uh, uh, but it's interesting because I think uh, both worlds can actually learn from each other. Like I see some interesting parts into in their wigs here, which I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And you know, I hope I can bring the same back from my background on the knowledge and you know the ideas we acquired over 12 years on how to do feature film uh, wigs. So eventually, these two areas will merge. I'm, you know. It, I'm pretty sure about that because they're working to the same goal. Uh, you know, they just do a different product for now. Right. And if I'm right, uh, the uh, Activision Central Technology Group, which I think is what you're in, is in Santa yeah. Monica? Yeah, in Santa Monica, yeah. Uh, so it's a bit away from where I used to work. but <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but obviously uh, with that, Motion capture also comes a pipeline that's predicated on a lot of sampling, a lot of scanning, a lot of because uh, a lot of characters in computer games are based on yeah. sort of yeah. humanoids or people bipeds that are actually people. Um, yeah. Where <laughs> you've got a lot of experience in uh, rigging for characters that are anything but uh, a standard uh, person, even when they are a, a human, they don't look uh, what you might call a, a, a standard proportions. Right. Yeah. It's just. Um, I'm I still like it now because I'm, you know, it. It's just like the realism. It's it's like towards a different direction driven, which is not what we do at DreamWorks. It's really like okay, we have a scan and we match it to this and we texture it and then the mocap pipeline comes in and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's it's really exciting to me and uh, very new, very different and. You know, I feel like it's definitely going somewhere in the future to eventually meet, as I said, with the other part, um, with the film pipelines. Um, you know, um, I definitely, you know, I, they, they seem to be already very good on the output of mo uh, motion capture and the game engines and all that kind of stuff. Um, so... It's quite an exciting time, I think, in games. <laughs> yeah. That's why I did it. Yeah. It's quite a journey you've had since growing up as a child in East Germany. Do you ever yeah. ponder the path that got you to be on a beach in, uh, in L.A.? I'm um, not sure what you mean. I'm sorry. Well, it's just quite a path from, from East Germany right. to sitting in Santa Monica doing uh, computer games. It's, uh, it, yeah. must, it must not have been the path that you saw for yourself back in the day. It's one that's happily evolved. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, this all, like many happy accidents, I guess, brought me here. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad for anything good and bad which happened to me, which brought me here. You know, I'm uh, pretty happy with what I'm doing. So, so um, DigiPro, for those that are less familiar, is happening Saturday, August 8th. Um, yeah. And just want to run down where it is. It's in LA. It's part of SIDGRAPH, but not actually at the SIDGRAPH building, right? No, it's in some kind of studio, right? Uh, this year, um, the Los Angeles Center Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah. Have I, you, I, have I you been to? Years ago. You've been to yeah, DigiPro? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, two years ago, I was actually, um, because uh, one of my friends is one of the chairs, uh, Larry Cutler, yeah. and he asked me to uh, take photos. So two years ago, was it two years ago or three years ago, I took the photos in Anaheim, and I was in Anaheim. Excellent. Um, well, uh, it's uh, going to be a really good uh, uh, set of talks this year. I'm certainly looking forward yeah. to uh, seeing yours. I know the system runs in real time. Are you going to do any demoing around at either DigiPro or SIDGRAPH? Or are we only, I mean, what are we expecting to see at the talk? I cannot give a live demo. Uh, there's definitely a movie in there which kind of shows the interaction from an animator point of view. On, you know, you, so you can kind of see Primo. I'm not sure about SIGGRAPH, if DreamWorks itself shows Primo. Um, they did last year, I believe, right? Uh, there's definitely a talk about uh, the multi-threaded graph again. I'm pretty sure about that at SIGGRAPH. Um, so there's a good chance they show Primo again. Not sure if it's going to happen on the floor. Uh, probably more in talks and stuff like that. Brilliant. Well, look, uh, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. I'm certainly looking forward to uh, the presentation yeah. and all of DigiPro. And um, it always sells out each year, so I'm sure it will again this year. But thanks again. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. All right. Well, DigiPro is always a great conference. Mike always goes and enjoys it almost as much as SIGGRAPH. It's a, it's a little spin-off group, and it's, it's been doing great work over the years. Um, I wanted to mention FX Insider. It's our membership program that offers insiders exclusive access to content and expanded articles. We created it as a way for people to who care about what we do here at FX Guide to help us to continue and grow. We don't ask for a lot. We don't splatter the site with banner advertisements or uh, much uh, fundraising efforts at all. So it's, our, it's your way to help us continue to, to do the work that we do. Details at FX Guide. Click the FX Insider tab. We also produce two other audio podcasts in addition to the FX podcast. The VFX show reviews visual effects and current releases, as well as classic films. And the RC podcast covers the ever-changing landscape of digital cinematography. We also produce a high-definition video podcast, FX Guide TV. All of these, along with in-depth articles, news, and more at fxguide.com. Also, as I mentioned at the beginning, check out our sister site, FXPHD, that offers extensive online visual effects training at prices you won't believe. So that'll do it for this episode. For my partners, Mike Seymour and John Montgomery, I'm Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.